Hey, good morning, everybody. <laughs> well, this is going really well, isn't it? Really wonderful to see you. Uh, I just got back from England a couple of days ago, so my accent has been refurbished. I know that because I went to the grocery store yesterday and no one could understand a single thing that I said. So there you go. I'm kind of a bit freaked out this morning. Something quite traumatic happened to me earlier. I went into the men's bathroom, as one does, and as I walked in there, I heard a lady say, Good morning. (laughs) Welcome to Timberline Church. You're thinking I went to the wrong one, aren't you? It was the loudspeaker with the service being put through there. I'm thinking, they got ladies greeting in the bathrooms. This is wrong. So. Hey, uh, David and Beth Grant are with us uh, today. They are the founders of Project Rescue, which has been such an inspiration to us as a church, particularly with the Count campaign. And I've heard about them over the years, but just got to meet them a few minutes ago. And I can honestly say this couple I think if you cut them, they would bleed a passion to see those who are often overlooked and on the margins, particularly with human trafficking, to see them rescued and really discover Jesus Christ. And uh, David and Beth, so lovely to have you here. Would you stand so that we can just greet you and welcome you? Well, we are starting this brand new series, Mysterious Connections. We're going to be looking over the next 12 weeks at Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Can I really encourage you to read that? Why not read it as a letter? Sometimes we just chop it up into little pieces. Read it through half a dozen times over the next uh, few weeks. But you know, when you read someone's mail, it's kind of important that you understand who it's written to. So before we really jump into this series, what I'd like us to do is go to the city of Ephesus and look at the city and look at the church and then see what we can discover as we think this weekend about signs of a healthy church. If you've got a Bible, I'd like us to look at Acts chapter 19 and verse 1. This is the story of the founding of the church to which Paul would later write. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul said, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied there were about 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. You know, it's been a while since I uh, last saw you guys, and since uh, while I've been gone, I've actually celebrated another birthday. And, and let me tell you, hitting, hitting the big 4-0 is kind of <laughs> traumatic. Okay, it happened 18 years ago for me, but the memory still brings back pain. But I had, I had my 58th birthday, 
And uh, one of the things I was really excited about is, is I got this gift I thought I'd show you this morning. I'm wearing it here. It's not my watch. It's this thing. This is called a Fitbit. This is a Fitbit, and basically, even now, as I'm standing on the platform, it is measuring how many steps. In fact, I'm tempted to just preach like this so I can just, you know, just get my numbers up, frankly. It's amazing. It, it tells me how I'm doing. It, it evaluates my sleep patterns. I, I wish it would do more. I wish it would zap me with 5,000 volts if I reach for a cheeseburger. It's a, it's a really serious thing. But, but the whole purpose behind this is an intentional approach to health, to be healthy. Isn't it true that in life, if we're not careful, uh, we, can, we can go into cruise control and we develop bad habits and, and we're not really carefully evaluating our health. That is true for us as individuals and it's true for us as a church. Pastor Darry has frequently said it's possible for a small church to be healthy. It's possible for a large church to be healthy. It's possible for a small church to be unhealthy and for a large church to be unhealthy. We don't just say, well, lots of people show up, therefore it's automatically healthy. And what is true in the macro, in the collective for us as a church, is also true for us individually. Are we not just people of faith, but are we people of healthy faith? Before I became a Christian, I was uh, an obsessive, compulsive pagan. I I was the guy that would check that I'd locked the door 14 times each night. And and then, praise God, I, I meet Jesus, and I become an obsessive compulsive Christian. There was a lack of health, certainly in the early years of my Christian life. So we're going to think about what it means to be healthy. Now, as we do that, let's, let's go to this city, this city of Ephesus. I've been there. It really is a remarkable place. Here is the library of the city. As you can see, it's been uh, uh, remarkably well preserved, in some places reconstructed, An amazing building. When I went there, I I learned from the guide that there's actually a secret underground tunnel from the library leading to a house of ill repute. What was happening is the guys were saying, honey, I'm going to just go back and take the scrolls back to the library and then going through the tunnel to the other place. You know, as we think about the scourge of human trafficking, we need to understand human nature doesn't change. That's why the message of Jesus is so important. But here's the, here's the library. In fact, we've even, they've even got the bathrooms, the public bathrooms preserved. There they are. How many would agree with me? That's, that's kind of close fellowship, wouldn't you say? <laughs> uh, I certainly prefer our own bathroom arrangements. But as you go to this city, it's amazingly well preserved. But get this, ladies and gentlemen, it's deserted. Apart from tourists. Nobody lives there anymore. There's no church there anymore. And the reason for that is because there was a lack of health in the city. A lack of health in the church, I'll explain. If you're following in the bulletin, let's let's take a look at what it means to be healthy in our faith. First of all, a healthy church, a healthy Christian is connected to the source. Jesus, not vague religion. Connected to the source, Jesus, not vague religion. 
if you were a seafarer and uh, you went to Ephesus, here is the street that you would uh, walk up from the harbor to the great stadium that seated 24,000 people. This impressive 33-foot-wide street, there were stores uh, littered along uh, that uh, roadway there, the Arcadian Way it was called, and this street was basically saying, you are somewhere now. This is a prestigious place. 250,000 people lived in this city. So how come it's deserted? Well, Ephesus was a harbor city. That was the source of much of its prosperity. But today, the city is six miles from the Aegean Sea. It's six miles from any water. How can that happen? Well, the river connecting the sea to the city got silted up. No one took care of the connection. And the result of that is that the city became redundant and ultimately was abandoned. You know, it's a metaphor. It is a metaphor both for us as a church and for us as individuals for us to remember that the Christian life or the way as Luke describes it in the book of Acts is a dynamic ongoing connection with Jesus. What can happen is we begin our Christian lives excited about that connection, but gradually things get silted up, blockages come. Imperceptibly, there is an erosion of that connection. You know, one takeaway from this message this week might be to say to the Lord, how's my connection going with you? Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus right now. I'd like to invite you to think about that. I've had some chaos this week because I, uh, I tried to get online with my iPad and when I was back in England, I changed the password. Thanks for your sympathy. Because <laughs> some of you are laughing because you know what I then did. I then went through the five or six passwords. How many know what I'm talking about here? And as you go through each password, an increasing sense of desperation... And deep joy overcomes your soul. And finally, I got the password. I, I, I remembered the password. And bang, the connection was there. If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, and you'd like to know God, I've got the password. You might want to write this down. It, it's relatively easy to remember. It's, it's J-E-S-U-S. S. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am the conduit for your connection with the Father. How's the connection going? Or maybe, why not begin the connection? Again, over in Ephesians, in chapter 2 and verse 18, connection is such a big theme of the book. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit, Paul says. Access, connection. How is that? Secondly, healthy church and healthy Christians are balanced in the truth. They're balanced in the truth. Look at verse 4 of chapter 19. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is Jesus. You remember John the Baptist, the guy with uh, the strange eating habits, locusts and wild honey, and he prepared the way of the Lord with the message of repentance. Apollos had been in the city of Ephesus and he'd kind of got stuck on the repent message and not got any further. 
He'd not got on to the grace message, the fullness of the gospel message in Jesus. And so Paul comes to correct that because they're, they're out of balance when it comes to the things that they're believing. By the way, I've met Christians like that. They're, they're pretty good at repenting, but they're not that good at accepting forgiveness. Again, I went through that phase as a young Christian. I repented of everything. I repented of stuff that wasn't sin. I'd go to youth camps and I'd run down the front every night to repent of something. didn't matter what the preacher was asking for a response for. It didn't matter whether they were looking for a new leader for the local women's aglow group. I'd run down the front. I will lead those flaming sisters for you, O oh Lord. He said, my Christianity was out of balance. And sometimes this happens as well when we get into one track of our faith, where we get so fired up about one issue, prayer, worship, uh, the place of Israel, the, the second coming. All of these things are very important, but what can happen with Christians is that they begin to narrow the focus. And then they become unhealthy because they are not balanced they're not seeing the big picture again writing to the ephesians chapter 4 paul says then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching you know uh this last week has been an interesting challenge my wife Kay, right now as i speak is on a british airways flight coming back from london so i've been home alone this week starving to death and I want you to know that I have eaten some of the most disgusting and appalling food ever created with the human hand. It has been horrid. And I'm the only person I can blame because I, I just stayed home and I've been cooking for myself. I can't. It is a miracle of God that I stand before you today. <laughs> I made scrambled egg. I mean, you could pave your driveway with it. And the reason that it all goes wrong for me is that I start off with the recipe. And as we all know, scrambled eggs is pretty complicated. And I think, I'll add, we've got a spice rack. I'll put some of those in and I'll throw some of that in. So that looks... And instead of following the whole recipe, I just come up with my own ideas. It's just amazing I'm not in the emergency room. Follow the big recipe. Don't just zero in on what fascinates. And sometimes we get into one-track Christianity because we're in reaction. And so when Paul went to Ephesus, these people, all they've got is the repent message. Repent, repent, repent. But then later in the book of Revelation, Jesus has to address that church. And what does he say to them? He says, repent. Is it possible that they've swung away, they've reacted against that, and they've swung into something equally extreme, and now the balance has to be recovered? Let's be healthy Christians with a broad understanding, balanced in the truth. Thirdly, let's be committed to kingdom work. Committed to kingdom work. Verse 8, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Paul spent around three years in Ephesus, initially going to this place, this synagogue. Uh, that was Paul's missiological strategy. He would begin in the synagogue, usually when he went to a city. But then opposition kicked in and they had to go to this rented hall. And as he goes there, this man, Paul, is supporting himself full time 
But the heat of the day meant that siesta time was between 11 and 4, a five-hour period. Every day, every day, Paul gathered that little band of Christians and he taught them the truth of the gospel. He worked hard. Again, over in Ephesians, we see that principle. Look at verses 11 and 12 of chapter 4. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. What for? Well, firstly, to equip his people for works of service. You know, we have got a huge band of wonderful volunteers here in Timberline. And none of this could happen without you guys. The sound, the lights, our greeters, those who were out in the parking lot this morning helping you work through the disappointment because the parking space that Jesus gave you was not available. I want to say, first of all, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your willingness to go home at the end of a weekend and be weary because you've served. It really matters. But I want to ask the question as well. For some of us, has the Christian message actually galvanized us into actually working or doing something for the kingdom? And I know that the the kingdom of God is bigger than the church. It's not just about what we do within Timberline. I get that. But are we spectators? Spectators are loud. I've been to those games. I've been to the Rockies game. I don't understand it at all. I don't even watch it anymore. I watch the spectators. I follow their lead. When they shout, I shout. When they clap, I clap. When they cuss, I praise the Lord. You know, I just... (laughs) But I tell you what, the loudest people in the stadium are the people watching. And so often that happens in church life. Dare I say that? Sometimes people get really loud, but they're actually not doing anything. Thank God for volunteers and people who will work hard. If we're going to have a healthy faith, is it possible that God is nudging us to energize that faith in service? And isn't it true, those of you that do volunteer and serve and work hard, there is such a blessing in that. There is a sense of hard work in healthy Christianity. Fourthly, Healthy Christians are conscious of spiritual warfare. They're conscious of spiritual warfare. Look at verse 11. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Ephesus was a place of incredible occult worship. So when the Christians showed up, people started turning away from the occult and that hit the economy of the city. Imagine that. And uh, there's a huge reaction, humanly and demonically, as a result. This is a reconstruction of the temple of Artemis, this huge temple where dark and evil acts of so-called worship took place. And the Apostle Paul is conscious that he's involved in warfare. Again, over in the letter, in Ephesians chapter 6, he says this, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, I've got a confession to make. I've realized that recently in my life, I've become somewhat oblivious to the idea of spiritual warfare. I kind of got a little bit 
out of sync with that truth. And again, it's reaction. You know, you ever met those Christians? They're obsessed with spiritual warfare. Everything that happens that goes wrong is the devil's fault. I ran out of gas this week. Satan is camping in my bathroom. I told you the story before about the worship leader back in England, a rather large gentleman. He's one of these pushy worship leaders. You know, raise your hands. Clap your hands right now. Everyone dance. Everyone head butt a tambourine. You know, kind of pushy. This large gentleman is leading worship aggressively. And he said, everyone raise your hands. Everybody obediently did, somewhat terrified. And wonderfully, his belt buckle exploded. (laughs) And his trousers, we call them trousers, you call them pants, but that's not important right now. His pants fell down, revealing a voluminous pair of boxer shorts, apparently manufactured by Mr. Walt Disney. And it was kind of freaky because Mickey and Minnie were running around on his pants with their hands raised. It's spooky. As he leaned down to pull up his pants, he leaned breathlessly into the microphone and said, It's amazing what Satan will do when you're trying to lead worship. (laughs) Gentlemen, check your belts. You see, I don't want to get into that kind of paranoid extremism. So what I do is I completely overreact and become oblivious to the truth that there are dark forces that want to bring me down and you too. Have you ever done a risk assessment on your life? Have you ever stopped to say, if the enemy wanted to destroy my life, my friendships, my family, my Christian testimony, how might he do it? How might he try and take me out? There's a war on And we need a healthy understanding, a balanced consciousness of spiritual warfare. Well, lastly this, number five, healthy Christians, healthy churches are faithful in the face of trouble. They're faithful in the face of trouble. This town, the city is stirred up. They go to this stadium. I've already told you, 24,000 people capacity. There's a riot taking place. The city government officials have to intervene. The apostle Paul wants to go and address the crowd. It's kind of courageous. And his friends say, you know what, that's not a good idea. But after they get through this, look at what Paul says in Acts 19, 21. After this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I'd been there, he said, look at these words, I must visit Rome also. What? Rome? Don't you know who's in Rome, Paul? Let me tell you who was waiting in Rome. This man. The Emperor Nero. He is the Caesar of the time. He was born in AD 37. Historians tell us he was fair-haired with a fat neck was covered in spots, and he smelled really bad. He was a nasty piece of work. He tried to poison his own mother. That didn't work. Then he had the ceiling rigged above her bed so it would collapse upon her and kill her. That didn't work. Then she went on a sea voyage, so he had the ship sunk, and that didn't work. She swam ashore, 
And then he finally dispatched an assassin to stab his own mother. He was a pompous, proud performer. He loved to perform on stage. And he passed the law that no one was allowed to leave the premises during his performances. Historians tell us that women gave birth during his performances and that some men actually pretended to have died so they could be carried out. (laughs) Don't even think about it right now. But a terrible 200-year period of persecution began. In my mind, I know what Nero did. I'm not going to stain your day by telling you, not only did he execute Christians, he tormented them terribly before they died. It was so terrible that the early Christians thought that this man was the Antichrist. And Paul, the apostle, says, I'm heading to Rome. Are you out of your tiny mind? But you see, he was willing to be faithful in the face of trouble. In AD 56, he decided to go to Rome. And 12 years later, church history and tradition tells us that he was executed by Nero by being beheaded. He didn't shrink back from trouble. Dear Timberline family, over the last couple of months, you will agree with me, I'm sure, that we have been tormented by an avalanche of headlines, rumors of war, terrible, horrendous images, and videos of innocent people being decapitated. It can melt your heart with fear. And what can happen is that you look at the headlines, you look at the news, and some of us, you might even be sitting there saying, hey, I didn't come to Timberline this morning to be reminded of that. Hey, we don't come here to get away from the world, but to be equipped to live in the real world. And we look at the headlines and we're tempted to feel like there's a disconnection. How can there be a loving God? How can there be an authentic faith with all of this stuff going on? Understand. A third of the New Testament was given to us by a man who was beheaded. What that says to us is that our faith works in the time of pressure and fear and persecution. And not just on the good days. Hold your nerve, church. Hold your nerve. This book that is birthed in so much blood and pain equips us as we have a vital connection with Jesus to live on the in the middle of sometimes what we can only call an evil day again in the letter Paul says in chapter 6 therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes You may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Christians in more than 60 countries around the world right now face persecution for their faith according to the U.S. State Department. But there's no disconnection. There's no irrelevancy to our faith because we live in a dark and evil world. You see, this same Bible also takes us to the end of things, the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation is so often misunderstood and subjected to 
speculation. People trying to just treat it like a timetable and often missing the core point. As we think, who does this one represent and who is that one and what does this mean? Whatever our interpretation of the book of Revelation, the core guts of the, the heart of the message is this, my brothers and sisters. In the end, Jesus wins. And because Jesus wins, we win in him. In the meantime, on the evil day, we may find ourselves surrounded by terrible and turbulent news. And our hearts break and we pray for the persecuted church and we pray for the innocents around the world who are suffering. But we stand. Come away from the macro to the micro to your own life as you perhaps wait for the test result. Or navigate another week with a bank balance that's printed in red. Or nervousness about that relationship, that marriage. And yes, it's not all going right. But today we huddle together and we declare. In the end, Jesus wins. And we stand confident in that eternal victory. Healthy church doesn't shrink back from Nero. It doesn't allow itself just to be assaulted by a series of question marks, although questions are good. It doesn't get overwhelmed by doubt when the world seems to be in chaos. But it looks ahead and looks up and says, Jesus Christ is our rock. In the knowledge of his resurrection, we stand firm. Would you pray with me? worship you Father today we thank you for the privilege of lifting up the name which is above every other name it is a name that is bigger and greater than terrorist militancy it is a name that is bigger than the evil desires of human beings We pray today for our brothers and sisters around the world who are gathering, some in hidden places, to worship you at potentially huge cost. Strengthen, encourage, bring down the schemes of those who would do evil to them. Allow them to stand. We pray for each other, Lord, in our own our own challenges. They might be seeming smaller, but they're big to us. Strengthen your people. We pray, Lord, that where the connection with you that we once had has become eroded, silted up. Show us once again this week what it is to live in a vital, healthy faith. 
abiding, dwelling in you. Show us what that looks like. And we pray for any here today who have not yet made that connection. Jesus, you're the password. Let's just keep our heads bowed for a moment. It might be that you are not currently a follower of Jesus or you are and you know the connection has been somewhat lost. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. You might want to use this. This is a junction moment. This is a moment of potential change. So whisper this prayer in your heart if you'd like. Lord Jesus, I want that connection. Not just that you might bless me, but that I might know you as Lord, director, friend, guide, authority in my life. I turn from the things that block up that vital connection. And I thank you that on the cross, Jesus, you did everything to deal with that which separates us. Thank you that in your resurrection, I now can discover you not as a theory, but as a living person. Jesus, come. Let us connect now and always. Just keep your head bowed for a moment if you would. Maybe you prayed that prayer because you're making a first-time decision to become a Christian. Maybe you prayed it as a Christian because you know you're radically disconnected. Whatever the reason, as our heads are just bowed, can I just ask you to slip your hand up for a moment, hold it there for a second as a way of saying, yeah, I just did that. And it, it, it's, it matters, it's meaningful. All around the building, people are doing that. So don't be afraid. You can put your hands down. Please know that in a few minutes, at the end of this service, there will be people standing at the front here. They're members of our prayer team. Come and take a moment. If you're becoming a Christian, they have information that can help you. This really does matter. Just strengthen and reveal yourself, we pray, Lord, to everyone who is responding to you in different ways. We agree together. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. They're saying, Jesus is Lord, Christ is enough. We are free, people. We are free. We don't have to walk out of this building today wondering if someone is going to be standing there to threaten us because we have the, the freedom to declare, shouldn't we be doing it? join me in making a simple three word declaration of faith Christ 
is enough. Together we say, Christ is enough. In the faces of circumstances that trouble us and a world that is so hurting, we declare together, Christ is enough. Take us, Lord, into this new week with that knowledge. Keep your eyes open for a moment, church family. And may the peace that passes all understanding, the peace that comes because of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, garrison and keep your hearts and minds as you now go in peace and serve the Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful day. The sunshine is temporarily back. And remember, prayer team are here and the service starts now. God bless you.